Something disturbing happened in the uh, city yesterday, and it was an afternoon double shooting. I know you're probably thinking, well, just another Sunday. It was in the beach, as they like to call it now. I like to refer to it still as the beaches. Mm -hmm. At Queen Street East and Woodbine. Now, occasionally I go down there for voice auditions. It is the sleep, one of the sleepiest neighborhoods we have in the city. I mean, I'm talking Snoozeville. If you don't have a stroller, you actually, I think you actually are not admitted to walk down Queen Street East on a Sunday afternoon. Very stroller heavy. Yeah. I mean, it's a family neighborhood. And two people were charged with attempted murder after a shooting in Toronto's East End. I want to talk about this with somebody that is uh, in the know. And so we're going to start off the program with our global news radio crime and security analyst. You've heard him before on the show, and it's not a lovely occasion, but it's it's lovely to have you back. David Perry, welcome to the show. David? Nice to join you. Hey, thanks for being here. So now, I mean, I'm particularly disturbed by this because for a while, you know, shootings, we all knew that they happened in the city of Toronto, but you knew the areas where you were most likely to deal with some sort of, you know, random shooting going down. Yeah. Now, we're, it's not normally something that would happen in the beaches. Let's talk about the brazenness of this on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it's certainly not something that you're accustomed to hearing about or seeing in the beaches. I actually cut my teeth in policing in the beaches. I was assigned to 55 Division back in the early 1980s. And uh, it was, and I think it still is, a fairly uh, sleepy hollow uh, part of our city. And uh, to have a brazen shooting in the middle of a beautiful day on a weekend with people out and about doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's, it's quite shocking. Neighbors are terrified. I heard the story of one of the uh, women that live in the neighborhood asked her neighbor to come in and walk with her through the house floor by floor because she was concerned that somebody was still hiding because I understand that they uh, possibly have some, uh, you know, uh, members of the people involved in this shooting still on the loose. Yes, yeah, and I'm sure that must have been absolutely frightening for anybody who lived in that community. And it, it ha- it's happening everywhere. I mean, it's not just... Toronto, and it's not just the GTA, it's any major centre where we're experiencing any kind of gang activity, and with gangs comes guns and drugs and the drug trade, which causes turf wars and all of the things that we've seen unfolding in Toronto, and, uh, you know, I live just east of the city, and it's happening in my neighbourhoods as well. All too often, I'm either driving home and witness to something, or I hear the news reports in what used to be a very sleepy hollow, uh, a bedroom community of Toronto, where there's gang activity going on and, and guns are being drawn and fired indiscriminately, you know, with people out and about. And it's, it's really quite frightening how far it's gotten. Well, in 2015, Toronto police suspended carding. And uh, as of 2017, all Ontario police services conducted stops that, you know, had previously conducted stops were required to now follow new provincial regulations. Just recently, as, as recent as last week, Justice Michael, Michael Tullock, uh, who was... He was in charge of this uh, report on carding. He he says that it doesn't work. He works with the Court of Appeal. And here's what he had to say about it. And some people have made a connection between a significant decrease in street checks and an increase in violent crime. The link is, in my view, unsubstantiated. Many jurisdictions in, in Ontario did not report any increase in crime after reduction of street checks. So if carding and the fact that we don't card and we don't, you know, um, we don't do random street checks anymore, we don't conduct random street checks, um, if that has nothing to do with it, what can we attribute the rising, you know, gunplay to? 
I think the rise in gunplay is, in fact, directly attributed to the uh, banning of, of carding and street checks. And I completely disagree with Justice Tollick and his take, and I think it's a slanted take on statistical views of, of what's going on in the streets. All of us that have been around policing for decades, like I have, and all of us who are still very passionate about law enforcement, we predicted this happening long before they even said that you weren't allowed or that you were very restricted in terms of the, the way you were going to do street checks in the future. We all saw this coming. I talked to police officers and very good police officers every day in my career, and they're all saying the same thing, that they're, they're handcuffed, they're not allowed to do the job anymore, they're not allowed to stop and investigate suspicious people on the street. And if you take Justice Tullock's report, it's, it's like it's written in a vacuum. It's written from a, a textbook that belongs in, you know, a, a school of law. It's not practical when it comes to the application of law in the, city, in, in, in the cities of, like, Toronto. And it certainly, uh, it, in my view, has a direct correlation to the, the massive increase that we've seen in gang activity and, therefore, gun activity. Our stabbings are, are completely off the charts compared to where they were when we used to stop and investigate people. And we're seeing the same thing now with guns, and we're seeing it all too often where one, I'll just say it, one bad guy pulls a gun, and guess what? The other bad guy has one as well, and mm -hmm. there's a shootout in the middle of the street or in a mall. There are so many guns on the streets these days that it's ridiculous. And the only way to get them off is, is for targeted enforcement where we go after gang members. So what's it going to take to get back to that place? Because clearly, um, you know, the, the government's been very clear that the new PC government, Sylvia Jones, the Minister of Community Safety and Correctional Services, says that we will uh, fix the police legislation the Liberals broke, and we're committed to developing legislation that works for our police and for the people of Ontario. But our new police legislation will ref reflect the simple uh, principle, racism and discrimination have no place in policing. But when you look at the um, at carding itself, y you know, from a vacuum, you could say, well, that is racism and that is discrimination. But, if you know, on the other hand, when you look at it outside the vacuum, the fear of getting stopped may have been enough to keep criminals in check before. And that's not working now. It's certainly not working now. And, the, and just the opposite is true where the criminals are, you know, they're being heard on wiretap investigations and talking about their newfound freedom where they can carry guns with impunity because the police can't do anything about it. They can't stop them. They can't investigate them. They certainly can't search them and pat them down. And if they do, even caught with a loaded firearm tucked away in their waistband, an illegal loaded firearm, the likelihood of that case going through the court successfully is almost zero. Why? Because the laws are such that... Uh, that the police uh, would be viewed as not having articulable cause to stop and investigate. You can't investigate because of mere suspicion. You have to have reasonable grounds. Therefore, you'd have to either see the gun or have somebody say, hey, that guy over there has a gun. And that's about the only way you're going to get a lawful search these days. Whereas before, we used to be able to approach people based on behavior and timelines of crime and statistics and so on and do street investigations. And during those investigations, quite often... That's when guns were retrieved, people were arrested, people would be found in breach of their bail from former releases on other criminal matters. And it, it, was, it was a way of, of keeping the gangs from grabbing that, that grip that they have on the street today. And, and I think that the tools have been taken away from the police and now it's gone. Yet you or I could get stopped and asked to perform a breathalyzer at any time. 
I find that interesting, and I, I don't I don't want to get into a, a sort of a double debate on that. I, I, but I do find it extraordinary that we can be driving a car and you can have absolutely no indication of consumed of having consumed alcohol or drugs, but you can be forced to provide a breath sample right there on the spot in a public place where your friends and your neighbors could actually view you um, being tested for alcohol impairment. Yet, you can send police officers into some of the most crime-ridden neighborhoods in the city where guns and gangs are prevalent and their neighborhoods are in fear and the murder rates are off, off the charts and they can't do their simple job by stopping people to make sure that they're there for the right reason. And to me, I, I get the whole social cost piece that Justice Tullock and many other, I'll call them, you know, maybe perhaps people that are a little bit on the left side of these issues, um, I get the whole social cost piece because you may stop somebody, they may be legitimate, and they may feel offended because they got stopped. But let's have a look at the other social cost. And I think we've seen it in 2018, and I think we're going to see it repeated and even worse in 2019, where the other side of the social equation on this is do the rest of us as a society, and I mean all of us collectively, um, do we all agree with Justice Tullock and are willing to allow our, our cities to further decay and to have the gangs take full control while we just sit back and say, well, that's probably better that we have shootouts and innocent people hit by stray bullets rather than having the odd person offended because they were stopped and investigated by the police. I think that's a, that's a real debate that has to happen. Um, I, I'm very concerned about his report. I'm not actually concerned about how aggressive the civil libertarians are about actually announcing on the, the day it was released that they're, if it's not implemented 100%, they're going to sue the Ontario government. I find that fascinating. How bad do you think it's going to get? Well, you know, unfortunately, we, we learn all of our mistakes from previous mistakes, and all you have to do is look just south of the border. And in the United States, they experience usually <clears throat> criminal patterns that we see here in Canada you know, years in advance. So they had gangs perhaps 20 years before we really see, saw them starting to take a foothold in Toronto. I mean, gangs have been in, around Toronto for decades, but not not to the, the you know, the numbers that we're seeing today. And, and they and kept so themselves on. hidden. They keep themselves, they did keep themselves pretty hidden. Today, they're bold and brazen, and they do things like they did on Sunday. I guarantee I don't, I don't have to be on the scene. That's a gang-related shooting. I'll just say it. And uh, if it's not, well, then we better figure out what, what's going on there. But if you get up and you read the papers in the morning, like we all do, and, or, you, or you watch the television and you hear about... Or you listen to the radio. 99, or listen to the radio, which I always do. 99% yeah, of, of these issues, 99% or higher, is gang-related. Is there a point of no return, though, like where we're like an American city and it's going to be hard to turn things around? Yeah, that that swinging point, that, that whole switch in the pendulum is a very costly and complicated and difficult thing to achieve. You know, there's only some cities that have managed it to get it to where, you know, for example, New York City has better crime stats today than Toronto does. 15 or 20 years ago, we were we were being able to brag that we were Toronto the good, look at our statistics and look at New York. But what they did in New York was extraordinary. What did they do? Well, they developed something called the, the broken window policy, whereby they took it from the smallest crime to the, the highest level of, of murders and, and gang-related murders and so on, and they treated everything exactly the same. They hired thousands and thousands of more police officers. And I mean, you probably saw the celebrations on New Year's Eve. Every second person in that crowd looked like a uniformed police officer. And so they've had to spend 
an unbelievable amount of money and resources and, and flood their city with police officers to, to get it back safer. And, and the politicians started to throw their support behind law enforcement and, and say enough is enough. But we're still at the point where there are way too many police leaders and too many politicians that are saying we don't want to offend anybody. So mm-hmm. they'll jump on and, to anything that's presented without proper consultation and study and that, without really understanding the impact on the community as a whole. I quite frankly, I'm somebody who's offended when we when we make these decisions without proper consultation. All of us disagree with the first part of the report. Nobody wants anybody stopped based on discrimination or bias. That, that's an easy one for all of us to accept, and that's exactly how policing should be run, and I believe for the most part that's exactly how it is run. But to not have the tools to go into very difficult neighborhoods and to observe suspicious behavior and to not be able to investigate that properly this city and this area is in a very serious problem. Well, what you do is you're turning every neighborhood into a difficult neighborhood. You can turn every neighborhood into it. And, you know, the beaches is one small example. And if we went through the list of shootings, that I think is one of the most shocking things. That that map of shootings, for example, used to be confined to, you know, let's just say if you looked at a city map, there was four or five pockets where they were heavily dotted where the shootings and the gang violence was taking place. Today, a map is is spread out. You you know, it wasn't in the tourist areas. It wasn't where tourists would go normally. Exactly. It wasn't in the entertainment district. It wasn't in the beaches. It wasn't in the Toronto Eden Centre. Yeah. It wasn't all the places that we're hearing about, you know, the Danforth and so on. All of these places that we've all been to and enjoyed time with our families and so on. And, well, now the gangs are you know, a lot more mobile. They don't confine themselves to their own neighborhoods the way the way they used to. And uh, and I'm not saying that was a good thing, but I'm just saying that it's a change. And and now if they come across a rival gang member, they don't care where they are and they don't care who's in front or behind them. They just pull out their pistols and start shooting. And, uh, you know, we've seen the loss of life as a result of that. Well, David, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, although we tend to talk to you when things like this happen and, and, you know, the bleaker topics, it is a pleasure to have you on with your expertise. Thanks so much for being here. Happy to help anytime. Cheers. That's David Perry, Global News Radio's crime and security analyst.